Are you addicted to anything? Are you an addict? You know, in a light way, we might say, yeah, I'm, I'm probably addicted to caffeine or addicted to chocolate. And maybe in some cases, you might be, some of you are addicted to boba and others are addicted to French fries. I, I think if I had to confess a weakness, probably with me, I, I've been good about this this year. It's, it's French fries or potato chips. And please don't give me potato chips. Someone gave me potato. Don't give me potato chips. I'm trying to abstain from all that to get, keep my cholesterol down as much as possible, which isn't been, hasn't been a bit very effective there. But, but anyway, just you know, to encourage you in the Lord. I mean, just you know, that's a good question to ask. Are you addicted to anything? Webster's Dictionary has defined addiction as a compulsive, chronic physiological or psychological need for habit-forming substance, behavior, or activity having harmful physical, psychological, or social effects and typically causing well-defined symptoms. Basically, addiction is when you are drawn into something that controls you and you can't control it. It is something that is extremely habit-forming and can result in just very, very serious um, very serious problems to you mentally and physically, if you would. Uh, it's also defined as a strong inclination to do, use, or indulge in something repeatedly. When you hear the word addiction, I don't know what comes to your mind, but have been around us a little bit here. When I hear the word addiction, what comes to my mind is someone controlled by a, a strong substance like a medication, opiates, uh, illegal narcotics, or something like that. Uh, the opioid crisis brings to our mind many, many people who've been, who've been bit just brought under substance abuse there and controlled by these medications. I think of a man who was the son of a, of a man that I know that is a good, godly Christian man, and his son was involved in a very terrible automobile accident, severe, severe back and neck pain, and they, put the, they, they prescribed these opioids to him, and he got addicted to it and really messed his life up for two or three years there, but... You know, he just at some point he just kind of just gave it to the Lord and got, got victory over that or, uh, after a period of time there. But it was a very, very trying time for that family. Uh, I think of, I think of you know, the situation that's chronic in our world today, not just in the United States, but chronic in our world today of someone who has a behavior or craving to something, uh, specifically, if I can just be very blunt about it, like pornography where they're just tied into that thing and they just they can't get their mind out of it and, and you know, their mind becomes a cesspool for the accumulation of those type of things. And so when we think of addiction, we think of more of a, uh, probably a very negative connotation there. We think of addiction in a very negative and bad way. However, we look at the Bible this, e- this evening and in verse 15, we have the word addicted used there. It's only used one time in the Bible. And uh, for whatever reason, God chose and he let the King James translators to take this word, the, the Greek word, and translate it English into the word addiction here or addicted there. Now, I want you to notice, if you want to just take a note here, the Greek word, and you need to know this, the word that's used in the Greek to define addiction or, addi- or addicted here is the word tasso. And tasso means basically to put something in order. It has the idea of something that's ordained. Let me give you an example of what it means. In Luke 7, 8, the Lord, Je- the Lord Jesus Christ is talking, dealing with Jairus here, and, or the centurion, excuse me. And the centurion said this, he said this to Jesus, For I also am a man set, and the word set is the word tasso, a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto them, One, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and doeth it. This centurion said, I have been appointed without a choice of my own. I've been appointed. There's an order to how Rome did this. I've been appointed and set 
under authority. I have this certain authority. And, you know, centurions were in charge of a large, large number of other, other uh, uh, soldiers there. So he was a man that was had great managerial skills, great delegation skills, great leadership skills. And he calls himself a man under authority. In Acts 22.10, the Apostle Paul said this. He was giving his testimony there and he said, he said, uh, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. Now the word appointed is that same word tasso. It's the word that's used addicted in 1 Corinthians 16, 15. It has the idea, here, the Apostle Paul said, God has already set in order. He, we, he's already decided in his mind that these are things he's ordained that I should do. So there's some sense of knowing that as we think about this word addicted, there is a, there's a process that's set. There's organization that's set. There's an ordination that's set. Romans 13, 1, it talks about the powers that be ordained of God. The word ordained is that word tasso, the same idea of, of where we get this word addictive. Now, as we look at 1 Corinthians 16, we have to go back a couple weeks ago, and we find here there's four groups of people that Paul is writing about and, uh, and commending. He's commending people that were a blessing to him. Now, I, I appreciate that because, you know, when you think about the context of the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, uh, he had to address sins in the church. They weren't, they were, I mean, they were pretty ugly sins and pretty rough stuff there that he had to deal with there. And quite honestly, I, I have to be real honest with you, I think, I think for many of us as we read through 1 Corinthians, as we get started right into chapter 1 there, we just start realizing that this was a very dysfunctional church with a lot of uh, just issues going on there. And you would think that perhaps someone had to write about that or deal with it, that perhaps they became a little bit cynical and disillusioned by it. Paul was not. He just had to do what God called him to do. He had to address the issues in the church. He had to call sin what it was and get things in order. He had to set things back in order there. But it's kind of a blessing to know as he ends this book, this book of 1 Corinthians, that Paul is taking a moment to acknowledge people in the church or somehow connected to that church that have been a blessing to him. He talked about Timothy he was sending to them. He talked about Apollos who had ministered among them. And tonight he's dealing specifically with the household of Stephanus. He's talking about people that were a blessing to him and to the church at Corinth. He refers to them in verse 15 as addicted, they had addicted themselves. They're what I entitled the message tonight as addicted Christians. And we want to just kind of grasp that as a thought tonight as we come out of 2020 and go into 2021. I want you to see four very simple thoughts tonight. Four very simple thoughts about addicted Christians. The first thing you'll notice in verse 15 is we see the household. The Bible defines here, it speaks about the household of Stephanus. Now, a household back in those days consisted of the husband, the wife, any children they had, and servants of that household. The likelihood is that Stephanus had that many people. It was himself, his wife, his children, and any servants that they had. Now, as Paul writes this, he, defined, he talks about the household of Stephanus. He wants to speak about specifically a family that was a blessing to him. We notice here that they are first fruits. They are first fruits. Notice if you what he talks about the very first salvation decisions that happened at the church at Corinth. Now, I thought about that for a minute, and I thought we should go to Acts chapter 18 for just a moment to think about what happened there. In Acts chapter 18, verse 8, we have the record there of the first converts in Corinth. The Bible says, you know, and you have to remember, Paul had been preaching for a period of time on the Sabbath day in the synagogue of the Jews, and then the day came up when the Bible says they opposed themselves and blasphemed, that is, the, that the people that he was ministering to, the Jews there, they opposed themselves and 
and they blasphemed. And so Paul shook his raiment off. He said, okay, you know what? I've done all that I can. It's basically, you know, I, I, I've gone as far as I can. And he told them, your blood be upon your own hands. And he says, I go into the Gentiles. He said, I've tried to reach my own kinsmen, the, the Jews, but they've rejected me. So I said, I'm going to the Gentiles. And he goes right next door to the synagogue. A man by the name, the man next door opened his house up to him. A man by the name of Justice opened his house up to him. Paul went there, just started, he opened shop there and started having church. And immediately God just kind of broke some things open. Whatever the oppression was that Paul dealt with was put away and as he started preaching, the leader of the synagogue, his name was Crispus, it was kind of like, yeah, I needed to get out of that environment. And he went next door to Justice's house, and as he heard the preaching, he says, I'm ready to get saved there. And, uh, Ju- and then Crispus got saved. And, and then the Bible says this in verse 8. It says there, it says, in Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, he believed on the Lord with all his house. There's a semicolon there. And then it says, many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Among those many who heard and believed, well, I believe was the household of the Stephanus. Because Paul makes mention of them by name here as being the first fruits of Achaia. Not only that, we go to 1 Corinthians 1.16, and Paul said, I baptized also the household of Stephanus, besides I know not whether I baptized any other. They were the first fruits. They were, he remembered most of all those initial believers that got saved in the church. Now we've been in church, we've had church here for 20 21 years, and I've tried to keep pretty good records of people that I've known that have gotten saved. And I want to tell you, it's a blessing when people get saved in the local church. It's a blessing when families get saved in the local church. It's a blessing when one member of the family gets saved, and then another mem- member of the family gets saved, and another member of the family gets saved. As we go to start 2021, I want you to catch my heart about this. My greatest burden is that we, we get names from you of unsaved family members and neighbors and friends, and, and I mean, not just names. I mean, people that you're burdened for and that you're praying. We have a, we have a, we, we, it's my desire that we would strategize together and synergize together and winning your family members of Christ. I'm not content with just getting one member of the family saved. I want to know who everybody is in that house. I want to know everybody living in the adjoining house. I want to know who the relatives are. I want to get connected in there. I want them to be, I want to be known among those family members as the pastor of that family and to be known as someone that's concerned about winning the Christ. It's a joy to see families saved. It's a joy to see fathers saved and mothers saved. It's a joy to see children saved and uncles and aunts and grandfathers and grandmothers there. Listen, it's a wonderful thing to see things like that. And Paul was commending the household of Stephanus that they were the first fruits of Ikea. Now I thank God that in our economy here in the United States, just by nature, how we do things. I'm thankful that there's that God brings people to our church who might get saved elsewhere. They're saved and baptized elsewhere, and they come over to our church. And I'm thankful for I'm thankful for transfer growth. I'm thankful for church members God sends to it that become faithful church members, and that's all good too. And you know, if we can mentor them and we can help them out, and they can get on the on the same page about the doctrines and word of God, that's a wonderful thing. But there's nothing like organic growth. There's nothing like seeing people get saved. There's nothing like seeing a soul get saved and getting enrolled in discipleship and, and as we start these prayer groups, getting them enrolled in the prayer group and watching them grow in the Lord and go on and serving Jesus Christ here. I'm just saying today, thank God that the business of a church is seeing people saved. Amen. And I think we have to remind ourselves, COVID or no COVID, our business and our mission as a church is to still see families saved. It's still to see people saved. To still see people brought to saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I took that prayer page and took a quick glance again tonight at, uh, at the salvation needs here. And my prayer is that this, this list here that we have of salvation, 
nation needs, that, it, that this list is going, to be, is going to be augmented. It's going to grow. Not only that, I want to start checking names off of people who are getting saved. You ought to, I need to hear an amen on that. Amen. I mean, we want to start checking names off people getting saved and people getting the church. And, you know, we can get past this mindset that, you know what, this, these are impossible situations and tough situations. And I just want to tell you, we can come boldly before the throne of grace and find help, the mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. I believe we have a God who saves souls. I believe a God, we have a God who's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We see they were first fruits. But notice they were the fellowship here. The Bible says, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Ikea. Now, they were part of the fellowship there at, at, at the church at Corinth. Now, when I say fellowship, I'm not talking about people they hang out, hung out with. You know, our whole connotation in the Western Hemisphere is about, you know, people we hang out with. You know, we want to have fellowship. And fellowship means grabbing a cup of coffee or a boba or a Coke or something like that or some soft drink or sugarless soft drink, whatever it may be, or a donut or whatever it may be, or mochi or something. We want to sit around and we want to just talk about things. We want to talk about sports. And I don't know why anybody would want to talk about sports these days, but they want to talk about sports. Amen. And they want to talk about COVID. They want to talk about this thing, that, and the other. But, you know, I'm not talking about fellowship. I mean, real Christian fellowship. You're talking about Jesus. Amen. You're talking about the Lord. You're talking about answered prayer. You're talking about your burdens on your heart. You're talking about a precious verse of scripture that you read. And, you know, I don't know why, but in our Western hemisphere, we, we kind of have this connotation that the only time we talk about a verse of scripture that was a blessing to us is when we have discipleship. I want to tell you, real Christian fellowship, we talk about, we talk about the things of God and we talk about the word of God and we talk about the blessing of God's word outside of all that. We need to get back to real Christianity is what I'm saying tonight. And real Christianity says that the fellowship of the believers is a true koinonia. A true koinonia is when we come together to build one another up in the word of his grace. Listen, if all your connotation of fellowship is, let's get you connected to somebody who's just like you. Get you connected to somebody who has the same occupation and the same traits and things like that. That's all good. But if you never talk about spiritual things, and you never talk about Jesus, and you have no inclination to pray, that is not real fellowship as far as God is concerned. Now you look at the house of Stephanus, he says about them that they addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. These were members who were plugged in. Let me tell you, the only kind of membership that the Bible acknowledges is plugged in membership. Plugged in. They were not only prayed in, they were prayed up. And I'll define that for you in a minute. As we think about being addicted to the ministry of the saints, they were prayed up. They were prayed up about their members. They were prayed up about, listen, I, I can tell you tonight, they were addicted to the ministry of the saints because they prayed for every one of those believers that was in the church at Corinth. They were plugged in, they were prayed up. They were positive. They had a positive mindset about things. I mean, they, they were members who kept the church going through their involvement and through their offering. Listen, the church at Gorinth was going through a very, very difficult time. Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus were the three men who agreed to leave Achaia, the island of Greece, at their expense. And if you look at a Bible map, it wasn't a, it wasn't a quick journey. To go all the way to Ephesus, where Paul was at, to tell him the news of what was going on there. I don't believe they went there with the idea that there was a vendetta in their heart to deal with the brother, the sinning brother in 1 Corinthians 5. And I don't believe they went there with a vendetta in their heart to attack and to undermine and dismantle the brethren who were divisive, corrosively divisive in the church. 
And I don't think they went there in mind with the idea that they wanted to gossip and talk about believers in the church that were suing each other. And I don't believe that they went to Paul to tell him about, to, to spread some garbage about Christians who were living in immorality and all the other stuff that we studied and kind of looked at there and, and things were going on, people going back to the marketplace and finding among themselves about food offered unto idols and things. I don't think they did any of that. I think they went to Paul and they had a broken heart and they were weeping and crying, Paul, we just don't know what to tell you. We know that you bled your heart out. You gave your life for 18 months to help this church get up, up, up to speed and they grew in the Lord mature, but as soon as you were gone, I mean, things started to unravel, the wheels came off the thing, and it became a big, big mess here. They weren't disgruntled. I believe they loved their church, and I think they decided they were going to stay with this church thick and thin. They were part of what I would call the true fellowship of the local New Testament church. Their closest friendships were people who lived for God. You better be careful who you choose your friends with. That's right. Scorners have a way of finding scorners in the church. And I just want to remind you tonight that you, you need to find people that are spiritual. You need to find people who don't pretend to be spiritual, by the way. You need to find people that can get a hold of God. And you need to find people that, that will love you and people that will care for you. And by the way, just watch them. Do they show preferential treatment to one group? Or do they just, are they kind of just, they're just, they're equal to everybody out there. I mean, they have a heart for people there. I mean, that's what I'm just saying there tonight. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, tonight, I think a lot of us, as Jesus Christ came tonight, as the rapture came tonight, we look in the light of Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, a lot of us could stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm ashamed that I didn't do more to provoke one another to love and to good works. And Lord, I didn't spend enough time in church. And Lord, forgive me for forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Listen, there's going to come Time, listen, for all you watching my live stream, there's going to come a time you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to decide that either COVID-19 is going to run your life or the Bible is going to run your life. And as far as I'm concerned for 2021, I think with it just being around the corner, you ought to decide 2021 is going to run your life. You say, well, pastor, you don't understand. Don't you read the news? Don't you understand that we're, we're at zero capacity in our hospital beds? And don't you understand that San Joaquin Valley and, the, and, the, and Southern California, that they're going to have an extended stay at shutdown? I understand all that. I understand those statistics. But statistics don't mean anything to God because God is over the statistics. And God is greater than those numbers. And we just have to decide today that if COVID-19 has resulted in you getting that brain fog and has resulted in you becoming complacent and has resulted in you not doing anything for Jesus Christ, it's time to get out of the shadow of COVID-19 and get under the shadow of the Almighty and realize God is more powerful than any pestilence and God is more powerful than any plague that's out there. Amen, preacher. They were faithful. They were faithful. I beseech you, brethren... You know the house of Stephanus. He said in verse 17, I'm glad of the coming of Stephanus. He said, they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Paul was their founding pastor. They were faithful to their pastor. They were faithful to the church body. You know, we, we're, we're, we're strange, strange people. If something bad happens in the church, we get this idea the church is falling apart. We get this idea that, that there's something wrong with the church. And what we don't really realize is because our spiritual life is at a low instead of a high, and because we haven't been praying for our church, and we haven't been praying for the members, and we haven't been praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what happens? We, we just allow the mindset of the world to affect us because that's what happens in the world. You read about a scandal somewhere, instead of checking it out, you just automatically disagree that the scandal's true. 
And you think whatever you hear there, it must be bad, it must be bad about this, bad about that. And so we, but you know, these people here, they didn't do that. They were faithful. They were faithful. They didn't, listen, people here think they abandoned the church. They quit the church. They quit the body of Christ. And I'm saying right now, do you look at this, these people here? They had every right. They could have quit the church and they could have just said, you know what? I kind of like it here at the church at Ephesus. They didn't say that. They said, Paul, we're not staying here long. We came to tell you what's going on because we need you to come back and set things in order. I'm just saying to you right now, be faithful. Stay in your church. Amen. Stay in your church. Be in your place. Be in your place of prayer. Be faithful to the things of God. Don't have side meetings talking about what's wrong with the church. Don't quit the church when the morale is going down. Now, don't start being divisive when the problem comes up there. Just decide, you know what? I'm going to shut my mouth. I'm going to pray. I'm going, to, I'm going to just be a good Christian. I'm going to be a model of being an inspiring, faithful member of the church because there might be some young believer that's going to pick this up. And I better be very careful, this young, immature believer. I better, I better be careful. It's better for me to shut up and not say anything than to say something and destroy their faith. Yes, sir. Thank God tonight we look at these people and they were the household spawners. A family got saved, a family got plugged in, a family was prayed up. Listen, churches are made up of saved, baptized individuals, but even beyond the individuals, thank God as the church grows and matures, we look forward to God building the church on families there. We see a household. Number two, would you notice we see the habit? Verse 15 says, You know the house of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves, they've set themselves, they've ordained themselves, they've positioned, they've committed themselves, really is what he's saying there, they've committed themselves unreservedly, notice this phrase, to the ministry of the saints. Now what they did is basically this. They said, we've got a church family here, and it's our ministry to minister to the physical needs as well as the spiritual needs of this church family. Now, it's kind of interesting. The word ministry is the word diakonia. Diakonia, we get our word diakonos from that, which that means deacon in the Bible. One who serves the Lord. It's used about deacons in 1 Timothy 3. It's used about Phoebe in, in, first, in Romans 16, and where she says she served the Lord, and some have incorrectly ter- interpreted that. That means that, by, that, that churches are supposed to have deaconesses. That's not what it says. It's describing what she was doing, not what she was. It's describing that she was busy serving God. And it's telling us here that these people here, Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaia, but I think specifically the household of Stephanus, they were busy serving the members of the church. Now, a, a definition that you find for the word dakonia means to stir up the dust. I mean, they were so busy doing what they did, they were stirring up the dust. They were busy serving people. And, uh, you know, I just want to tell you this, and, and our deacons would, would tell you the same thing. You don't have to be a deacon to serve God in this church. Amen? Some people think I've got to be a deacon to serve. No, you don't have to be a deacon to serve God. And by the way, you shouldn't even aspire to be a deacon. You should aspire to serve God and serve God's people. Amen? And serving God's people means you just have a joy in your heart that you want to serve people. And by the way, if you're really saved, you want to serve God's people. You really want to, you're really saved. You want to do things. I mean, I bless God for Mrs. Schmidt. I think I keep using her as an example, but the lady hardly can, can get to church here because of her infirmity, and yet 
yet at home, she's busy making lap warmers and finding ways to serve God's people. And she makes these dolls and things like that. I mean, thank God. You know, what what would God do if we had we had two or three hundred members like that just busy serving God? And I didn't have to ask people to sign up for a, a, a cleaning team. If I didn't have to ask people to sign up for something like that, if you just came and did these kind of things there. And by the way, there's a, there was a time when people just did that. They just showed up and said, I'm going to come to church and help them. And thank God we have people like that. Thank God we have people that just say, hey, they'll call up the office. They'll ask Miss Erica or Miss Kat. They'll say, hey, do you have some envelopes you want us to seal? you have some letters you want us to send out? Or there's something you need us to do or something to assemble? And thank God they're here for that. And thank God we have people that just say, hey, I heard you're going to have a special event. Can we help prepare food for that? I mean, thank God we have people like that. But I'm just saying today, it should be the entire mindset of a church that they're willing and ready to minister to the needs of the church there. And the Bible says here that these people are doing a diaconia. They were serving the Lord. They didn't mind rolling up their sleeves and getting their hands dirty. And they didn't mind the fact that they didn't have to have a title. And by the way, you don't need a title to serve God. And just by the way, don't think that serving God means you have to be a teacher. I just think the baseline for service for God is getting a broom, getting a toilet brush, and start scrubbing things for Jesus Christ. That's the baseline for serving God. Person starts on staff. A staff member is not defined by his title. He's defined by rolling up his sleeves and getting some dirt under his fingernails. Cleaning things up. Let me just say this. I'm a park that's out there. I still walk around the property and I check garbage cans, things like that, because I'm going to see what's happening. And it's amazing. Men that know my heart about these things, I don't like garbage cans being filled and running over. They're still filled and running over sometimes. You're not looking. When you're serving God, your heart is, we want to make sure that everything about the church is right. Stephanus and his household, they observed everything. The father... The mother, the children, they made things, they made sure everything was right in the church. Listen, you use the nursery, you use something in church, put things in better order than when you came into the room, amen? You come to church, don't leave the place in disarray. You come to church, say, we're going to put things in better order than what's before. You say, we're preacher, this is not somebody else's job. No, that's all of our job. Listen, if churches did everything they had to do, they wouldn't have to hire janitors, and they wouldn't have to have cleaning teams like that, because everybody's rolling up their sleeves and doing their part and saying, you know what, I'm going to make that extra time after church or before church to come and do what I need to do. Listen, when we have to get past this mindset as we go to 2021, a biblical church is one that decides we don't have to be asked what to do. We know what's the right thing to do and we just do it because God is glorified by a good attitude. Amen. So notice this here. They were ministering to the saints. They were, they addicted themselves to ministry to the saints. I want to give you a few thoughts about that. I think number one, their ministering was effective. Now, it's one thing to be doing things, and that's okay. But it's more important to get things done, to get a timeline and get it done. They were effective. That's why Paul is commending them. That's why they got on their heart. Nobody compelled them. Nobody coerced them. They made the trip out of their own pocket to go all the way to Ephesus to see Paul, to talk to Paul about what was going on because they were concerned about the welfare of the church. What they did was effective. What they did was energetic. When you read about them ministering to the needs of the church, and we have to go back to the original Greek word of ministering, the diakonia. They were stirring up the dust. I mean, they were energetic, and they were busy, and they were enthused about their doing. But I want to tell you something else. As we look at this in Paul's writing, if you look at the context of flow, they not only were effective, and they were not only energetic. Let me tell you this. They were empowering. I believe that their example that they set 
encourage others in the church to serve God. I believe their example encouraged others to stay in the church. I believe their example in the church encouraged them to say, you know, encourage others to do something more than they were doing. Listen, there are two kinds of members. You're either one energetically serving God involved, or you're one watching everybody else do that. And I want to encourage you, if you're just watching everybody else do it because you just think they're supposed to do it, I want to encourage you to get involved and do something for the Lord. Don't let this church become a staff-led church or staff-run church. Let this church be one where every layman gets involved, and every member says, this is my church. I'm involved. I've got a vested interest in it. It's more than just cutting your check and putting in the tithe. And it's more than giving your two, two or three services a week that you attend. It's more than just that. It's more than the two or three minutes a day that you pray for the church. Get involved. Make some time. Set as part of your goals for 2021. I'm going to be here and help the church. As soon as we get full steam back ahead and doing things, we're going to need people running hard and running fast for God. And listen, this family here, the household of Stephanus, they were greatly empowering to those who were involved in that church. And that's what our example should be. You know, it's a blessing to a pastor when a church is serving, the church is a serving church. When they say it's a joy to do anything for Jesus Christ, when you don't have to pull teeth to get people to serve. When a pastor can confidently trust that the people serving are not using their ministry to build their own kingdom or to, or to advance their own cause. They're just there to serve Christ. They quietly come in. They quietly leave. But when they leave, they leave an impact that the dust has been stirred up and somebody's been served for Jesus Christ's sake. Let me give you some thoughts what we could do for 2021. Number one, be addicted in your prayers for your church. Be addicted in your prayers to God for the church. Now, if you, don't, you have trouble with that, maybe what you might want to do is set aside, I don't know, maybe one or two days, three days a week, where you just pray for members of the church. You're involved in a Sunday school or adult growth group. You ought to pray for that class. You're involved with a, a, a ministry of some kind. Pray for the people in that ministry. Um, when we, these prayer groups starting off, when one of the weeks that we'll be praying, one week out of the, out of the month and the time, we're going to be asking those prayer groups to be praying for the ministries of the church. We're going to be asking them praying for maybe classes of the church. So number one, be addicted in your prayers for church. Number two, be addicted in writing a note to people who suffer a loss in the church. Now, I'm going to be contacting some people. Some of you are probably already doing this, but I'm, I'm praying to raise about 20 to 30 people. Then we have a situation. I'm going to just basically send a message out. Hey, so-and-so had a loss. Could you write them a condolence sympathy letter? I'll give them some samples and say, here's something you can write, but it must come from your own heart. You know why? Because as, we're, as I'm finding, this year was a very heavy year of a lot of funerals for me, and I don't see that going away. What a joy it is. If I can minister to a family, even if they're not connected to the church, and knowing there's 20 to 30 or more letters or cards of someone saying, I don't know you, but I want you to know I prayed for you. I'm knowing that there's a church here that sympathizes with me. Be addicted in writing sympathy letters. I'm thankful during this year for our, our uh, HBC Cares for children and families who wrote cards to our, um, our, our, our first responders and things of that nature. And I tell you, probably more than the meals, honestly, more than the meals we serve, I think were those cards and those letters they got from members of our church. I mean, to know that there were several places where they had these walls, and on display those walls were all the cards and things. And, and we still remember the first time we went to Eden Hospital, and then we went inside this room. And Ken, you've got to bear in mind, this is, I think, in May or June or whatever it was there. And uh, you have to bear in mind that everybody's very nervous and scared about going in. And at that time, hospitals were not letting you come inside uh, unless you were the patient. Basically, you could, even if you're a family, you can go in. And we went in the, this section that used to be the urgent care section, and these nurses were there. And, and one of the nurses that was 
was there. She looked at the information that was there. And, and I just happened to walk in that moment of time because Brother Ur and a couple of the others were there. And this nurse, she just kind of broke down in tears. She says, you know, this touches our hearts. The little children would write a note like that. We need to be, you know, we're going to minister effectively. We've got to touch people at their point of need. And I'm praying that God is going to help us raise up 20 to 30 or more people who will be part of a writing ministry with me that we can write to people who suffer loss in their family. Number three, be addicted and sensitive to situations I bring up where I might ask for meals to be donated for family, needy families. Now, we do a pretty good job with that, I think, through our growth groups. You know, when they're a newborn baby, things of that nature. And, but it ought to be automatic that just some of us just realize, you know what, I can buy a little extra food, and I can prepare an extra meal, and I can minister to this family. And, you know, in all these families that we minister, they don't ask for it. They're, they're very appreciative of it, and they're thankful for it, and we need to do it. But I just want to encourage you to be, be, be addicted and sent to a situation. By the way, can I just say this? I'm asking for some of you who have never done this before, and you can cook. You know, that's a criteria, man. That you can cook, that you can help us with that endeavor. We have families that do that, and they lovingly and gladly do it. But you know what? To enlarge our church, enlarge the sphere of our influence and our context, more of you need to do that there. Fourthly, let me give you this. Fourthly, let me encourage you to be addicted to serving and loving Jesus. Amen? I mean, it's no sim- it doesn't mean any simpler than that. Just to be addicted to serving and loving Jesus Christ here. And again, I just want to say tonight, the, the, these people, the, their habit was that they, they, they were addicted. They addicted themselves. They, they ordained themselves. They set themselves to the ministry of the saints. Well, we see this household. We see the habit. But you notice verses 17 to 18. Notice the help. I'm going to read the verses to you and walk you through this for a minute. Paul said, I am glad. Now, I learned one thing as a layman many years ago, and I tried to do this the best I could. I learned that as a layman, I wanted to, I wanted to bring joy and encouragement to the heart of my preacher. But little the Lord gives me to minister. I don't, when I get asked to preach out, I don't go to preach out per se. I'm nobody. I go there to minister to the preacher. And you young men who are in our church who get called to preach out, you're not called to preach. You go to minister to that preacher, that congregation there. I don't go there to minister to promote me. I'm there to promote Jesus Christ. And Paul said, I'm glad of the coming, Stephon. You know what he's telling the church? You know what's a blessing to me? Man, I'm here laboring away at Ephesus. I'm finding the wild beasts at Ephesus. He talked about that in 1 Corinthians 15. And I, well, what a breath of fresh air. Three of the men, they're among the first converts of the church. They paid the fare. They made the journey. They came all the way over here to see me, to minister to me. And, you know, they were help. I want to tell you something. In church, being effective is being a help. It's knowing that when you leave that person's presence, they were blessed and encouraged. He said, I'm glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. And notice the colon there. For that which was lacking on your part, and I'll get into that in a minute. He said, they have supplied. For they have refreshed, and I'll talk about that in a minute, my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. Throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture, there are special people God has raised up as an example to me and to you who came alongside of God's servants at a needy time. That's why God put you and I here. To raise us up to be a blessing. Listen, you know I bring preachers in here? I bring them to be a blessing to you. To preach to you. But you know what my, my ministry is? To be a blessing to that preacher. Because I know what they're going through. 
I know what their churches have done to them. I know what goes on there. I know what, where, where the blessings have been and not been. Hey, you know, Brother Sam, Sam Davison, he retired from his church. They took very good care of him. It's a great church. Southwest Baptist Church is a great church. Two years ago, maybe it was last year, no, two years ago, I think it was, I didn't know this because I checked in. He doesn't talk about his issues, but I found out from another man in the church that the Brother Davison had very serious surgery, and, and we talked about it a little bit, and I thought, man, I said, he, he's dependent on offerings out there. I mean, he just, he's out there. He, has, he hasn't been able to preach for six months. And I told the deacons, I said, hey, guys, I said, I, I said, I need you to get on board with me on this. I know you'll go with whatever I recommend, but I want you to sign off. And I said, we need to send, I want us to send a, a pretty good-sized love offering to Brother Sabazin. And I said, he's a servant of God. He's ministered to us. He's helped our church immensely. We'll never, never know until we get to eternity how much he's helped our church. I want us to send this offering. And without a beat, all of them said, hey, preacher, we're with you. We sign off on it. We sent that to him. He called me up. He said, Brother Fong, he says, I did not expect this. I mean, this is too much. This is way too much. And we've done things like that. Why? Because my, my ministry is to be a blessing to those preachers, even as he's a blessing to this congregation. Now, I want you to think with me for just a minute. God's raised up people to help his servants. Let me give you a few. God used Jethro, the Midianite, to help Moses at a critical time in teaching him how to do delegation because Moses was taking everything upon himself. I think part of it was the problem of the Israelites as well there too because I think they left some uncertainty in the heart of, of, of Moses. But Jethro said, hey, you know, just let go, you know, divide them up. Those who can manage a thousand, those who can manage a hundred, those who can manage ten. You figure out what their capacity is and what they can manage. Once you figure out their capacity, get them in charge so you can take And you just take care of the bigger picture. It doesn't mean you're taking your hands off. It just means that there are just some things they can take care of. They, they can get it done and more people can be ministered effectively. I mean, that was a help to Moses. And I don't know about you, but if you had to oversee a congregation of three million people, I mean, you needed advice like that. And Jethro came alongside of him at a good time. But here's another one. I think about Jonathan. Hushai and Barzillai. I think of those three men who are blessing to King David at critical times. I mean, Jonathan, I was just, I'm just going through 1 Samuel again. It's just been blessing my heart here. And just, re, you know, just how the Bible talks about Jonathan and, and David, their hearts were knit with one another. But Jonathan was there at these critical moments, those early days when da- David had to run from Saul. And then we read later on, David, da- da- David's going through this whole situation again there when, when Absalom revolted against him, his own son revolted against him and, and usurped his authority there. And so he runs off. And so, so David has to leave there. And here comes Barzillai at a special time and brings all these things. And by the way, Barzillai was a Gileadite. And Gileadites were known in their tradition of just being men of war and, and men that were rugged. And he brings all these goods to him. And, and Hushai, who was known as the king's friend. By the way, that was a great thought. Hushai was known as the king's friend. He brought things. I mean, they came at a critical time when David needed them. I think about the three men that David mentioned about in First, Second Samuel 23, who heard David praying. He was just in a place where he was, just, he was craving to go back home to Bethlehem. And he thought about the water from the well of Bethlehem. He says, you know what? I'm drinking the water from the stream. I'm drinking the water from this river. I'm drinking water wherever we can catch. It's coming off the waterfalls here. But he says, man, there's nothing like the cool, refreshing, wonderful water of the well of Bethlehem. And those three, young, those three men happened to be listening to David as he probably was praying to God and just telling God what was on his heart. You know what those three men did without telling David? They put their lives at risk. They broke through the garrison, the Philistines that they had there at Bethlehem, which, by the way, was David's hometown. They broke through that garrison. They went over there at the risk of their own lives. They protected each other's back and they brought back some of that water david got that water he thought man these men have risked their lives for me and he says i can't drink this and he poured it out as a drink offering and as a memorial to those men i think about the shunammite woman the shunammite woman where where elijah passed through her town of shunamm 
And she told her husband, she said, hey, this, I think this, perceived this might be a man of God. Hey, by the way, I'll tell you some people ought to know, man, if you're a man of God. Amen. And she paid, passed through that city. And she said, why don't you come here? As often you come in, you can have a meal with us and you could take, we'll take, I'll take care of you. And then she got inspiration in her heart. She said to her husband, hey, she said, dear, she says, you know, if this is a man of God, if he's going to be coming through here, I think we ought to make a, a little chamber for him. We ought to make a little room for him. They expanded their home and they weren't expanding for themselves. They made what we now call a prophet's chamber for the prophet Elijah. I mean, they, we just, Elijah, we got that whole idea there about a prophet's chamber. It was inspired by a great woman who had a great art for God, but she was there at a needy time for the prophet of God as he passed through there. She gave him food. She gave him lodging. She gave him bedding. She gave him a study place. She gave him a chair and a table. Everything he needed to do the work of God. I mean, she was there at a critical time. I think about Abednelech, the Ethiopian. Now, Jeremiah was down in that dungeon there. I mean, he was literally up to his armpits in mud and in water. And he said this to the king Zedekiah, he said, who was the flake who put him in there in the first place. He said, hey, listen, he's about to die of starvation because there's no bread in the city. He said, can you give me some men that can get him out? And Zedekiah thought, man, I, is that what I did to him? And he said, he gave him 30 men. And Abednego led these men there. And he took some old cloth, some old claws and, and rags. And he says, hey, Jeremiah, I'm lowering these down with robes before you put... Put the ropes under your arms. Put those old claw, uh, those claws and, and rags under your arms and help them. I mean, Abednego was there for Jeremiah at a critical time. And he didn't have to do that. He was a well-paid servant of the court. But he got concerned about that man of God who everyone else in the kingdom had despised. And they all treated him. He heard what they said about that man. And, they, and instead of joining on their band and saying, well, everything they're saying about him is true, he says, it is not true. I know what this man is preaching. He's preaching the word of God. And so he was there to help them. And listen, I, I think God did the same thing for Paul. Paul God God raised up Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus to come alongside to help the Apostle Paul. Now notice some things about that there. Look at verse 17. First thing we read is they filled up what was lacking on the part of the church at Corinth. Lacking means this, they were deficient. It should have been the church that should have sent a delegation to Paul and should have Decided we're going to, if we're going to see him, we're going to bring an offering to him, and we're going to minister to his needs. Instead, it was these three men. And Paul describes these three men that are coming to him. He says they have supplied that which was lacking your part. Now he wasn't being critical of the church. He wasn't pointing a finger at the church. He wasn't telling them they were bad people. It's just the nature of the fact they were not cognizant of Paul's labors, his exhaustion, the difficulties he faced, the people that were giving him trouble. They were not cognizant. They didn't know how to minister to him, but these three men did. And he said, that which was locking in your part. They didn't come to bellyache. They didn't come to complain. And uh, they just, you know, they, they, they didn't kind of make Paul's life more miserable. They didn't want to add more work. I mean, they, they were not like the typical American church member who when they come see their pastor, all they do is bellyache and complain. And when they leave the office, they make more work for him instead of less. Filling up means this. Filling up or supplying what was lacking means this. In our, in our vernacular here in the Western economy, give your pastor more hours in the week. I need more hours in the week to get more things done. There's more to be done. 
Get, take, take on some load, take on some, give him more hours in the week. They gave Paul more hours in the day. Filling up that which is lacking, he's helping to win souls and get them in the church. I mean, what a joy it is to pastor when members are winning souls to Christ, when they're going after souls and bringing them to Christ and they're doing their part and beyond their part. Hey, filling up that which is lacking was holding up the arms of the Moseses while the battle was going on in the battlefield. I mean, they were filling up that which was the church of Corinth was deficient. But notice something else. The Bible says in verse 18, they refresh the spirit of the apostle Paul. Now write this down. This is important as we understand ministering as a member of the church. Refresh means to recover and collect one's strength. It's the same word Jesus used in Mark chapter 6, where he said, Come you apart for a while and rest. Come apart so you can get refreshed in your spirit. To be renewed. It's how Paul defined Onesimus in the book of Philemon. He said he refreshed the spirit of the church at Colossae. God wants you and I, when we think about helping, are people inspired or people discouraged? Are people better off or are they the same? Our touch on people's lives must leave them better than when we saw them or don't mess with them at all. Amen? And I'm just saying today, as we look at these three men, saw Paul, they encouraged him, they allowed him the opportunity to collect his strength and to reinvigorate him in the work of God. You know, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to Paul that wherever he was at, he wasn't one that got discouraged easily. But his description here basically said, you know what? They came and they were a breath of fresh air. I mean, they just gave me, a, they gave me renewal in the ministry. They were renewed. He said, my outward man may be perishing, but my inward man is renewed day by day. He just said, I feel refreshed by what they're... You know, when you give a good report to the pastor, that's refreshing. You tell them people get saved, that's refreshing. When you tell them that some God answered your prayer, that's refreshing. When you tell them that you've been reading your Bible, like I got several people that told me this last three months, Pastor, I want you to know, I just finished reading through my Bible X number of times. I just finished reading my Bible this time. You know, it's refreshing to the, the preacher. It's refreshing to hear those kind of things. It's refreshing to hear that they got the gospel. It's refreshing to hear they took some risks. It's refreshing to hear that they participated in a certain way. I think of a man that's it, that, that, that came to me one day as we were doing our very first offering. For the, for, that was actually for this building, and I really didn't know what to expect. And you know, we were just been going at it, and this man had just, you know, we had gone through some deep, deep trials. And he said, "Pastor, I need, I need to make an appointment to see you." And he came to the office, and he, he before he even sat down, he said, "Pastor, I just want to tell you, I love you, and I love this church, and church has been such a blessing to me." And he gave me a check, and I looked at the check, and I almost fell backwards. And he gave me the check. He says, "This is for the building offering. This is for my tithe." And I looked at, it, I said, "God bless you, sir." And I gave him a hug. I said, "I don't really know what to say." He said, "God bless you. Thank you." I said, "Are you sure this is what God wants you to do?" He said, "I'm." sure God wants this is what God wants me to do. My wife and I, we prayed about it. This is what exactly what God wants to do. I tell you it was a breath of fresh air. That, that, listen, what that, what, that, what that beloved brother did, that, that's why this building we're in right now, the building I'm in right now, that's why this building is here. One of the reasons why. He got criticism. People say, oh, you shouldn't give that much money. You shouldn't do this and that. Listen, the joy of the Lord is in that man's heart. He loves Jesus. He's winning souls. He's telling people about Christ. He's supporting missions, doing all the things. Listen, that's a breath of fresh air when you think about things like that. And Paul said here about these people, he says, Stephanus and Achaic is Fortunatus. He said, they have filled up that which was lacking in your part, and they have refreshed my spirit, but not just mine. They've refreshed yours. You know, all along the time that church was going through trials, they kept encouraging those people in the Lord. Stay in church. Live for God. It's going to get better. 
Let's listen to the preaching. Let's get to church. Let's not get discouraged. It's going to get better. Listen, Paul's going to write us a letter. He they just kept encouraging him on the Lord Jesus Christ. These people were a blessing. Do you notice one last thing tonight and we're done? Notice verse 16 and 18, if you would, please. We see the household. We see the habit. We see the help. Would you notice the honorable? I thought this is a fitting way to close off this section. Paul said that you submit yourselves, verse 16, that you submit yourselves unto such. He's talking about the Spirit. The Spirit. They addict themselves to the ministry. That you submit yourselves unto such. And then he said, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. Now, if you, if you read that very quickly, you didn't catch the message there. He says that you submit yourselves to such and everyone that helpeth with us. Now, the word helpeth is where we get our word synergy from. Synergio. A mutual cooperation. No divisiveness. We're combining our skill sets, our energy, our talent, our gifts, the blessings of God together. He says... Those who helpeth with us. He says they're not going against us. They're not going ahead of us. They're with us. Ministry is not running ahead or running against. Ministry is running together. It may go slower than you want to go, but you're to run together. It is not going your way because it's not your way that counts. It's God's way that counts. He says that helpeth with us. He says, now listen, he says, I want you to understand. He's saying they are a model of what cooperative ministry is. And then he describes them as this. This is a great word he uses. <laughs> he says, to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. And the word laboreth is a much stronger word than ministering. He's talking about serving to the point of exhaustion. And Paul used that word maybe 12 or 13 times in his New Testament epistles. He says they were working to the point of exhaustion. You know, today, again, in our Western Hemisphere, we have to ask, how much time can you give, and can you do this, and can you do that? And we're trying to be conscious of people's time. And those days, basically, they just served. You didn't have to ask them. And here's what they did. They ministered to the point of exhaustion. He says, now listen, I'm going to tell you what, what I like about Fortunatus, Achaicus, and Stephanus. He says, they are the benchmark and model of what a member serving a local church should be. Synergizing and working to the point of exhaustion. It's not too late. It's not too hard. It's not too difficult. They didn't make excuses. They were there. They were reliable. They were dependable. They had the joy of the Lord. You say, well, Pastor, that all sounds uh, like theory. No, it's not theory. It's real stuff. That's what they did here. That's the benchmark for service. They were recognized by selfless service and desire to be a blessing. And so here's what Paul said. He said, submit yourselves to them. He said in verse 18, acknowledge ye them as such. You know what he's saying there? If you're going to follow a model, follow that kind of a model. Follow a model that synergizes, that works to the point of exhaustion. Acknowledge that. Promote it. Because we have young people coming up in the church, they need to see that's the kind of model they should follow. We have new people that are coming to the church, they need to understand that's the model they should follow. 
We have people that are not as involved as they could be. They need to see that's the model to follow. You know what Paul's telling the church? He says, listen, I can set before you and you can testify the same. The Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, they did not morph and they did not diminish after many years. They did not diminish in their love for the church, their love for Jesus, their love for serving. In fact, if anything, they rose to the point where they became the benchmark and model for what real ministering is all about there. They helped. They labored, they were addicted to the work of the ministry. And so Paul is just saying there is just saying this, look, follow the example. They were a blessing. You be a blessing. Be a blessing to the church. Be a blessing to your preacher. Be a blessing to the members. Be a blessing to one another. Be a blessing so that God gets the glory and the honor. Paul said, such acknowledge ye them. Synergize. Don't divide. Pray. Don't pout. Compliment, don't complain. Serve, don't sit. Get involved. Be a member this year. Look at the model Stephanus. Be a soul winning member. Look at the model Stephanus. They addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints there at, at Corinth. Get yourself fully engaged, fully involved. Go in all the way. Roll up your sleeves. Get involved. Say, this is my church. I'm going to do all that I can. The day's going to come. The day's going to come. We're going to get past all this stuff that's going on. It may be different, but the day's going to come. We'll be able to get back more engaged than we are right now. But get engaged. Do what you can. Follow this model. Be an addicted Christian. And then tonight, if you're not saved, we invite you to come to Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight and realize Christ makes the difference. I can promise you this. Stephanus was not like that before he got saved. But after he got saved, he got Jesus Christ's heart. He was somebody that God used. And by the way, the name Stephanos is where we get our word crown from. Our word crown, Stephanos. He's going to receive his reward in heaven one day at the judgment seat of Christ because of everything Paul said there. Let's be found honorable. Let's take care of the body of Christ. Let's love his church. Let's teach our children and our relatives and family members and new believers. That's the model for serving God.